Exclusive Books is delighted to present another homebrew podcast series, a celebration of South African writers and their books. Now 25 years old, Exclusive Books Homebrew 2022 is not the same old story, but a mirror and a window into South Africa, where we are, where we've been, and where we can go. A remarkable selection of history, fiction, memoirs, current affairs, and children's books on our most pressing and relevant topics, from identity to feminism, corruption to corporates, self-love and identity, and everything in between. Incisiveness, humor, self-reflection, and hope abound. Check out the full selection in all exclusive bookstores and online. Today's episode of Homebrew is presented by author, journalist, and fearsome cruciverbalist, Jonathan Anser. When the world went into lockdown in 2020, the words Jackie Pamotse was one of the top Google searches. In other words, Jackie was more popular than making sourdough. Jackie is a fitness fanatic, a businesswoman, social activist, and philanthropist. She's also an award-winning, best-selling author with nine books under her literary belt. Her novel Bear, The Blesses Game, was published in 2017 and set Mzanzi alight. She has recently published Mercy, the fourth volume in the Explosive series. Jackie tackles dark themes of kidnapping, human trafficking, child abuse, the illegal trade of organs, sugar daddies, sleigh queens, sex scandals, slavery, drugs, cults, mental health issues, demons, rape culture, and gender-based violence. Mercy takes you headfirst into Tim Morgan, Daphne, Gibson Kente, Paul and Rita's crazy world with twists, turns, shocks and surprises on every page. Welcome to the Homebrew series, Jackie. Can you please read us an extract from Mercy? Thank you so much for having me. So I'm going to read chapter one of Mercy. No origin with no history. 1st March 2019, somewhere in the mountains of Bumalanga. It's been three long years. Things have changed. However, the cause and desires are still the same. Work still needs to be done. Life has changed for many, but not for the bosses. Many could say, never forget the enemy that has escaped. In this world, broken pieces always find their way back into our lives. Over the last three years, many have died, used as honey dips, and the police still can't find leads, or they choose not to account. Others say, choose not to I, the obvious. It was never going to end just like that. The stillness was way too fragile to bear. As momentous things so often always creep back like rotten smells in the alley, there are many reasons Santon is Santon and why the villagers stay as they are. Days become weeks and weeks become years. People fail to change in some ways. It's a new year. Everyone wants a clean break and others want to hit the sky flying, fixing loose ends and cleaning up old fossils. And here we are back in the city of gold with orgies that do not lay too far from our doorknobs. The house help keeps busy as they look on from the windows. The madam seems like she was off again. They didn't appear to be surprised. She came as she preferred and looked a little radier than normal. 
the kids stayed put in their bedroom fast asleep and there was no sign of Tim Morgan. This had become a normal for a stinging cold household and no one spoke of him as per Madam's request. It was like they had a new life and along with it came new rules, flooding in at any second. Mrs. Morgan seemed to be in her own element on that day. She had requested the male help to clean her car the night before. She packed some things in the car herself. Whatever those things were, it seemed like they were pegged and confidential. There was a white envelope under her arm and a black leather briefcase in her hand. She looked back at her home as if she was saying goodbye. And no one truly knew anything about her anymore. Silence had become her way and she withdrew into herself, preferring to be reserved. Even her two children had not interacted with their mother. It was like she had her own life and they were just objects. It was not like this when Tim Morgan was around. He was the respected anchor and the voice of reason for their kids' lives. Even though Daphne played the submissive wife, he still had a certain hand in the way things moved around the house. Everyone needed him back, but no one dared to say a word. Jackie, you have legions of fans. They call themselves the Bear Nation, and Bear is the fastest selling series in South Africa. When you first put pen to paper, did you think the series would become so successful? Absolutely not. It was not even designed to be a series. I had written The Blessed Game as just a diary, honestly. And then once the readers got to it, they were asking questions. When is the next one coming? I had no intention <laughs> of writing the second book. I just said, I want my friends to read the story. It would be nice to tell it. And then it sort of grew like that. Just the demand of people saying, okay, we want to know more about Mrs. Morgan and Tim and her husband, their little ring and their way of life in Clanton. And it just grew from one book to the next. Why do you think it captured the imagination so vividly? Most of the book is based on actual real people. So it's real characters. So it's like a maze when the fans read it and they're like, we want to know who these people are. They go on Google searches to find characteristics of certain people and their way of living and trying to marry that into the book. And you see how fun it is when the story just evolves and they see themselves as well in the story and they're able to identify who could be the sugar daddies, who could be the slave queens. And social media also creates this big buzz around certain people and they are always trying to almost identify their characteristics and what they're doing in the closed doors behind the seat kind of life. And I think in the modern society, sugar daddies are a big thing and almost like a phenomena, really where everybody has one or everybody wants one. And there's others who just sit there in envy and they're like, okay, we would like to know who these people are. So I think the story just speaks to the hearts of many, many South Africans who have experienced this kind of life or who just desire or are just curious, honestly. When you wrote the first one, you said that no one believed in you. So it must have been an incredible feeling when the book came out. What was it like when you held the book for the first time in your hands? It felt like a deja vu moment, almost surreal, because I said, okay, this is supposed to be a diary. Now it's a book. I don't even know what to do with it. I didn't even think that people would read it. So to see it grow like this is so exciting. I'm so grateful. The Bear Nation literally just grew from nowhere. <laughs> um, 
and they keep on growing and growing and growing and here we are now book number four in the series and the story still continues. Last year, you reintroduced yourself as a children's author. What made you decide to write for a younger audience? Oh, my goodness. So I went to the bookstore just after, I think it was level four, and the bookstores were opened. And I was looking for books that could help my nephews and nieces to to speak about inappropriate gestures, bullying, and food disorders. And it was really very difficult to find children's books that spoke about that. And I said, okay, I have written about rape and abuse in children. Is there a book that can help me educate young kids between the ages of five and 12 about just communicating if sexual assault happens at home or at school or in any other environment? And I really couldn't find. So I came up with the series for kids that addresses that issue, but obviously in a very light turn, very conversational, almost like a conversation starting in the family to say, okay, should anything happen to you, how would you communicate this? And what do you know about your body that could assist in that communication? So throughout the lockdown, I said, okay, let me take a break from all these crime thrillers that I'm reading <laughs> and go into something lighter. And Liwa came about. What was it like from a writer's perspective, shifting gears to write for these different audiences? It's very difficult because, you know, in our books, we use a lot of graphic scenes. We use a lot of big language. And I remember my editor saying, well, the children will not understand half of the words that you have written. So you have to rewrite them in a softer tone and in smaller words. And I was like, oh, my God, that is actually hard because you underestimate how smart kids are, but also we need to be aware of the tone in the book and what the book is supposed to say and also the graphics and how they are depicted. And that was a fun little research venture that I had to go to just to look at what a psychologist saying about kids, speaking to a teacher that teaches my nephews in Midrand and say, okay, I want to do this. How would you as a school receive it? And they sort of helped me go through the process of just writing for kids and their needs and how far can we go and how much of the language can we expand in their under- so that they understand better. That was a bit difficult, I promise you. <laughs> but it was fun. Very yeah. thrilling, very fun. So you've written nine books, one more, and you have your own set of decouplets. Do you have another book coming out? I'm actually writing the first book. So the first book is a merger between Liwa, the adult series, and the Bay series. And you see the characters almost merging into one. I, did and I don't that... know if I'll be done, but I've got a tough deadline. I need to be done by September, but I am definitely writing book number 10. I did notice Liwa making an appearance in the final pages of Mercy. So you were setting it up for that. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned that the Bear series is inspired by real life events. Can you tell us about some of the research that you did? Oh my gosh. So first research itself. So when I was 19, I did experience a situation with an older guy. And I was like, am I the only one going through this? Then I went to different universities where students were complaining about older guys coming to the campuses and there was a lot of rapes in the campus. This is specifically UJ, actually. And I was speaking to some of them to say, okay, what are your experiences? What's going on in your neighborhood? And they were telling me about 
how Santa men are going to Auckland Park and they're getting these girls over the weekend. I was just blown away at how how open they are. It's like nothing, there's nothing wrong. I'm like, oh my God. So you you have all these big cars parking at your campus every weekend. It's like every Friday you'll see them here. Every Saturday you'll see them here. And it started off like that. And obviously then I posted stuff on social media and I asked, guys, is there somebody who's willing to tell their story when it comes to this phenomenon? And I got tons of emails from people, yes, who wanted to be anonymous, but they had pictures and videos and conversations on WhatsApp to prove that they were dating these people. And I just said, okay, there's a bigger market in terms of this conversation. How do we now carry it into literature so that it honestly makes sense and it's also teachable to young people who are finding themselves raped by older guys, kidnapped, dating older guys, and then later on abused in those relationships. And I sort of gathered the information as I as I went on these little university tours to speak to students. And then I found that, shoot, there's actually a lot of people, even outside universities, just normal corporate people who say, okay, my salary is not enough. I started dating this guy. He has money and he was sort of helping me through my life. Uh, you see people, they said he's starting to have multiple partners for various reasons. And you're like, sure, are we really having a social erosion or what's going on here? And that's how some of the research was done. You were one of the most searched items on Google in 2020. Do you ever Google yourself? I, I'm always scared to see what people say about me. I used to Google it in the beginning to say, okay, is there any new articles that have been written about my work? And then sometimes you see critics' comments and then you see people just bullying you online. And I was like, no, I'm not going to Google myself. I don't want to see it. But I was really shocked when those stats came up that I was one of the most Googled personalities <laughs> in the country. I was like, what are people Googling? <laughs> what do they want to do? <laughs> so it was just uh, fascinating. But yeah, it just shows that people are really interested in the work and the, the books and the things that I write about. But I just never thought that is a thing, really. <laughs> Finally, what do you hope your books achieve? Conversation starters. Are we in a country where social injustices have become a norm? Can we honestly find ways to solve this problem? Do we speak to poverty? Is it lack of education? Is our economic standard? We don't have morals anymore. We just don't see wrong for what it is and we're just accepting everything. So I just want people to read it with an open mind and also find yourself in the story as well. What would you do if it was your child? How would you educate them? How would you get them out of such a relationship? And also the themes that are aligned to the story, things like human trafficking. We see all these things happen on a daily basis where there's a picture or a poster of somebody who was kidnapped or kids who are getting missing. Can we really look at that? Where can we actually almost link the story to real life in terms of who are these people who are kidnapping young people? And also the issue of organ sales. You know, people don't really think it's a thing. It's a huge market. People are really being sometimes kidnapped and used as sex slaves and their organs are taken for, for, for resale in different countries. That conversation also needs to be brought to the front to say, are we really looking at our criminal justice correctly? And what are they investigating when they find cases like this? Are they just classifying it as kidnapping? Or what is it that we are not seeing that's been hidden? Because it's really a market. And are we honestly educated enough about it 
to even have the capacity to investigate it. So those are the type of things that I want people to really think about. And also just read the story for what it is. Literature is such a fun thing. You know, you read a book and you sometimes you don't resonate with it in that moment, but later on in the years, it stays with you. And there's some lessons that you learn from the story and the different characters in the book to say, am I this? Can I identify with this person? Have I seen a person like this? Would I even be a person like this? It's very, it's always very fun to pick up a book and read just for the fun of reading. Jackie Pamotse writes explosive books that spark conversations about important issues in our society. She makes readers think, question, and reflect on their own lives. No wonder she's more popular than sourdough. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> Thank you for being part of this podcast series. This exclusive books homebrew podcast was spread far and wide with the help of Vodapay. Vodapay is a super app that is available on all mobile networks. On the app, anyone from any network can send and receive money, pay bills and shop the amazing deals, all in one place. It really is one app for anything and everything. If you like it, Vodapay it. <laughs>